Welcome to Dragon Talk! Beautiful, Renton, Washington. Yes, I am one of your hosts, Shelly Mazanoble. I am your other host, Kay Welch. Yay! Yay! Um, no Greg Tito today. Yeah, who needs him? Well, you know, he's nice <laughs> to have around sometimes. Yeah, he's a travel boy too. We're he all, is. We're all, tra- we're all traveling. He's celebrating uh, somebody's wedding. Mm-hmm. Don't know who, but it's on the East Coast, it and could he's be, could be anybody. He's he's not here, and we miss you, Greg. Come back soon. Come back soon, buddy. Yeah. And I'm sorry because he's missing a really good Dragon Talk. Yeah. What's going on in today's Dragon Talk? We have an amazing, let me tell you, an amazing guest. It is Brian Murphy, who many of our listeners know from Not Another D&D Podcast. Then the acronym for that is NADPOD, which I like. So lots of people around the office today even because obviously they follow D&D on Twitter mm-hmm. they were like oh my god I love Ned Pod Ned Pod and I'm like uh, we, is this like a Tide Pod like what is a Ned are Pod we, are we eating these what are we I, are why we gonna- are you telling me you love Ned Pod <laughs> I'm not that good at acronyms so it would take me a while to be like oh got it okay and, but also pod is not it doesn't stand for anything podcast on Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> oh, yeah So not a Tide Pod, it's a Nad Pod, and we have a ton of fans of this podcast just in our building. Um, And Brian is is highly loved because he's a great dungeon master. And also, I'm going to tell you because I might geek out a little. Oh yeah, it. I for some reason like I I love you know the lead sheets that we get about our guests. We know who they are, obviously, in advance. It's nice. And sometimes I like to do my own little research. Uh-huh. And I like just, like, what else can I, like, I like to read interviews with people or just, you know, like, You're download. such a professional. I like to, like, you know, know a little more. I don't know why it did, I didn't connect the dots until today. And I will tell him this, too. But um, he is on, and I think even, like, created and wrote, um, along with his lovely wife, Emily, who's also one of the cast members on Not Another D&D Podcast. One of my favorite shows, Hot Date. I've never seen it. It's on, well, it airs on uh, Pop TV, but you can watch episodes on Netflix now. Okay. Which is like, Bart and I want, like, we just like to, like, troll Netflix and just find something funny to watch. And we stumbled upon, or maybe someone recommended it, but we stumbled across it, and it's freaking hysterical. Okay. And so... It did not occur to me until this morning as I'm getting ready for work and I was like, you know, listening to some past episodes of the podcast. And I'm like, why is Emily's something about her voice is really familiar and it could be from the podcast. Right. And then I went back and like looked up his bio and I was like, oh, my God. Hot date. Hot date. Emily. Brian. Hot date. Hot date. Uh, I'm like, Bart, do you know who we're talking to today? (laughs) Totally geeking out. All right, I'll allow it. Okay. That's pretty cute. So yeah. I didn't, I did not connect the dots, and now that I have connected them, I am super duper excited. About well, it. it sounds like he, this Brian Murphy fella has all kinds of cool credits. Yeah, he does. His previous projects include College Humor, Adam Ruins Everything. Yes, which is also, hysterical. Yes, also a great. I show. have seen Adam Ruins Everything and Hot Date. Yeah. And it's so funny because a lot of things that you read about him is like he's most known for not another D&D podcast uh-huh. like really because he's got some really impressive credits here too yeah but it's also a hugely popular podcast so. I clearly need to get into this podcast I I You'll like the it the only D&D podcast I listen to is um, Dragon Talk Dragon Talk, my favorite talk show, right? As well as um, the the first the first arc of the Adventure Zone in particular, I've listened to I don't oh, know how many mm-hmm. times. 
Um, but I, I find myself when you when you spend all your time writing for your job, it's very hard to listen to other people talking. Otherwise, the things that they're saying come out in in oh, the, yeah. word, the word document. So I have to listen to non lyrical music constantly at work. And then when I go home, I'm like, I don't really feel like doing more Dungeons and Dragons stuff right now. I kind of want to play video games. So I just there's never a time for me to consume D and D media. Yes, and that's on me. That's my fault. Do you drive to work? Yeah, but it's only about eleven minutes. Oh. So. You can get in some podcasting. That's yeah, just when I a, listen to just them. quick. You could do like a, a couple rounds of combat in that eleven minutes. I mean, yeah, That's fine. Depends on who you're <laughs> who you're playing That's with. True. But yeah, I'm just making excuses. I'm going to get into not another D and D podcast, and then you're going to watch Hot Date, and then I'm going to watch Hot Date. Not while I'm driving. It's really funny. I I I think I've seen it on Netflix, like scrolling yeah. past. So yeah. I'm going to put that. I'm going to add to watch list. Well, you and Brian will have uh, lots of things to talk about when it comes to playing D and D, like in a performative way, because of your experience mm. on the C team. Yes, I have performed much D and D, and I I I saw this as a, as a, a conversation topic, and I was like, yeah, I'm really interested. I want to hear what he has to say yeah. about this because I absolutely have my own take on it. Um, and he's oh, not good. he's not listening, is he? He might. All right. Well, we we will discuss it. That's going to be a really interesting conversation. Yeah. Well, we just gave him. We're not going to like ambush him with topics. I am. You are. <laughs> the goal here is oh, to make that? Is to don't. make him cry. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to to limit it to like one person a week. So I'm trying. Did you I already make someone cry this week? Yeah. Not yet. Do you remember when it was Bart's birthday and you? Snuck in here when he was on a live stream and tried I'm, to smash a cupcake in his face. I vaguely remember. I don't. I. I trying is uh, the wrong word. I did smash a cupcake in his but, face, but it didn't work. No, because he's made of Teflon. Right. It, yeah. It was. It was weird how yeah. it just bounced right off of him. Yeah. Not did, one speck of frosting got on his face. Nope. Weird. I. I have to say that that's either the the um, the result of preparation, or preparation or. Pre- <laughs> Hey, I'm Bart Carroll. Every morning, <laughs> I get up. I'll put on hey, a thick layer. Don't some people use it for, like, beauty stuff? I think so. I have heard that people use it on their biceps, like, if they're going to go out because it sh- it tightens the skin. That's what a preparation what? day. And it, and it makes your, your muscles veinier and, like, bulgier. People to, want that? But it smells really bad. It's like, it's a giveaway. <laughs> like, Bengay. It's like, oh, yeah. or Vicks. It's like, you know, right. oh, there, there it is. Yeah, thanks. That's a little, a little flashback. I do remember. The, yes. Now that, now that you play it, I do remember when that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Did that make you, you have, like, any second thoughts about who the hell did I marry with this slippery with this face? Weird face? Yeah. It, the only second thought I had was, I yes, it's true. I love Kate. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she is my you, favorite person. You were out there, so I remember being like, "We gotta go back in there and smash a cupcake." And you were like, "Do it! Don't do it! Don't do it!" Don't I know. Do it. I felt conflicted. Do it! Do it! Do it. No, no. I no, guess I was kind of happy that it didn't smash all over his face. I didn't want him to feel bad or embarrassed, but then I realized he wouldn't be. He would just be like, "That's cool." He's so, <laughs> he's so, he's so even keel. Yeah. I can imagine him being like. That was tasty. You know. That was a fun bit. He's so even keel. Sometimes I wonder if he has um, a loss of hearing. Oh. Because I'm like, does he not hear the things I'm saying to him? Like, why are you not reacting to this? This is because you're (laughs) trying intentionally to annoy him, right? Yeah. Sometimes. That's what you do with someone that you love. Mm -hmm. Hey, Bart. Hey, Bart. Hey, Hey, Bart. Hey, my my fiance, Tyler, when he's reading a book lately, for some reason, I don't mean to do it, but it's, it's just at those moments when I decide that I want his attention the most. <laughs> and because so you're a cat. Usually, I think I am. You're a cat. So I think, I think like for most of, most of our uh, cohabitation life, I'm not 
we're not getting in each other's way. We're we're cooking dinner together. We're watching TV, whatever. We're working, um, but we 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 just we flow together like like water. It's it's wonderful. However, when he starts reading a book, it is it is a magnet for me, and I'm like. I'm like, hey. Oh, my hey, God. Hey. I'm like bumping my head up against him. Oh, I'm my like, hey, God. Hey, talk You're... to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. I am a cat. I you think. are yeah. a cat. I think I'm a cat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm finally I'm finally realizing that about myself today. Yeah. It's important. Well, I'm okay with it. That's good. That dragon talk is kind of gets people to the core of who they yeah. really are. Yeah. I had to. My, but... my therapist retired. So now I'm taking it out on you. Okay. <laughs> Your therapist retired. Is that because? Yeah. Of me. Of yeah. You? She's exhausted. She's like, I can't do this anymore. I need my own therapy. <laughs> See, that is a that is a secret complex that I have about well, my my therapist uh, might have retired because she was sick of me. That's I feel like I feel like that's a very common feeling that somebody in therapy would feel about their therapist. Yes. I have a friend who was actually dropped by her therapist, and it wasn't like she the therapist really was. I am not able to help you. You need better. You need more and I'm therapy. Like, How could a therapist? It's, Say that to their patient. Like yeah. you have to have a better approach. You like, have to have. You would have to lie and say, "I'm retiring." <laughs> exactly, Shelley. Yes. Now you understand. That's being code at for. My fear. I can't help you. Yeah, yeah. I can no longer help you. I'm um, gonna retire. Land on. And she's like secretly seeing her other clients all the time. Speaking of helping, I'm starting a new segment. Yeah. Woo! branching off on my own my own little segment. What? Tell me all about your new segment. Okay, okay. Um, well, you're going to be a guest on it eventually. I don't know if you responded to my call for help, but I'm, I, I've already have you on the list. I was probably on an airplane when probably. it happened. Um, so it's a new segment that it's working title, and we're just going to go with it because uh-huh. we don't have time right now um, to change it. <laughs> How to be a dungeon master. <gasps> yeah. Where I am going to go one-on-one and talk to dungeon masters that have experience and guide people through the experience through the whole process of how to be a dungeon master Terrific. and we're going to start from the very very beginning and where do you buy dice what is dungeon master what is a dm you know, screen for I, i'm been struggling a little with like really what what is the beginning I and mean, a lot of it so i guess We'll talk. Like today, Dan Dillon is going to be my guest. Excellent. And he has a lot of experience. He's written a lot of articles about how to be a GM, how to start. So I figured, well, even if I don't know where to start, like he'll be able to tell me where to start. Sure. That's kind of my first question. Yeah. Do you start with a group or do you start with the desire to be a dungeon master and then put mm. together that group? Or like how does – where and then and then what? So I, I asked Twitter, hey, we're doing this new segment. What are some questions you have as, as – in, new or inexperienced dungeon master. What would you want to know? And people were like coming at me, like I'm. I have six pages. Holy of crap! Topics like there is so much out there that people want to know. Wow, that's great. And it's just we're just going to tackle it all, baby can, steps. Can I tell you? I will not tell you any dungeon master uh, tips. Well, you I'll, will I'll eventually. Save, I'll save that for this segment. Okay. But I will tell you that um, the first time I ever, ever yeah. dungeon mastered. After I got this job, I had never. And ever, you do it all the time. Now I do it all the time. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I'd gotten the job, and I'd been here about uh, negative one week. I was. It was like a week before I started. But I had. I'd gotten the job, and I was like, okay, I can't start until I have actually dungeon mastered. Um, and this is this is all you know, kind of embarrassing. But I, d- I DM'd for a mixed, a very mixed group. Two people that I used to run a D and D group 
in like as a as a player that yeah. they they used to run with me. Um, a uh, my ex husband and his a nine year old son. Okay. Um, and who uh, my ex had played a second edition, but not much fifth, if any. And uh, my stepson had not played any Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. He just knew that I was getting this job. Okay, so you had excited. a mix of people yeah. who have played, people exactly. who have never played. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and it went so great. Um, I ran an adventure from the DMs Guild called The Wild Sheep Chase. That at, sounds fun. Which is a super, super fun adventure. And um, and it was it was awesome. And I learned so much just from that one dungeon mastering session. And I got totally addicted. So how did you choose that particular adventure? This is one of the questions I really, I don't know. I don't know how to choose an adventure for a party. It, uh, it looked fun. It was short. And it was uh, it was very highly rated on the DMs Guild, which is generally how and I was it find levels, my one shots. Like, one, like, did you start? It's at really the low level. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's one to, one to three or something, um, if that. But yeah, it was it was just a, a, a highly rated, fun, easygoing one shot adventure, and it worked great for every single person. Um, and yeah, we we all had a really good time. And the fun of that is where I was like, oh. This is way more fun for me than being really? a player. I, was just I want to DM ask, so much. What, yeah, you, you prefer being a dungeon master. I do. Yeah, I do. Okay, I, I've good. told you this before. Then I feel less guilty for how much we've made you be a dungeon master. Oh no, these I last love it. Weeks. I love it. I stress out way more. Like this Lost Odyssey game, I'm a player. I'm way more nervous about that than I have been about any of this Rick and Morty DMing. Because when when I'm a DM, I know I, I know everything. Yes. Uh, there's nothing I'm not prepared for. I'm just, you, because you wrote that adventure? Well, or for, in that case, yeah. But but I just, I know I know the parameters and I know the sandbox in which I play. When I'm a player, I don't know the sandbox. Right. Because it's all a surprise. And that's super delightful for most people, I think. Um, but for me, I like to know, like, okay, I understand the constraints, the boundaries, what's what's possible in this adventure, and then I can play inside of that. And that's that's really fun for me. This, this has is, been the preview of your Dungeon I know, Master segment. Like, Sorry. <laughs> so are we going to go to a segment now? So oh. that is an excellent segue. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Because now we are going to <gasps> actually go to that segment. Yeah, with you and Dan Dillon. Yes. Here you go. Oh my gosh. Enjoy. I'm nervous. I hope you like it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the very first episode of How to Be a Dungeon Master. Woo. I'm Shelly Mazanoble and I'm joined by Dan Dillon. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks my for having me. My very first guest. Yeah. Um, I probably didn't even tell you fully what you were doing here. Just said, join me in the studio at 2 yeah, o'clock. Get in here. Let's go. Let's talk yeah. about this. I'm ready. Um, this is a new segment. This is called How to Be a Dungeon Master. Awesome. Do you have any idea what it's about based on the name? Uh, I have a couple ideas I could try to throw together. I'll just follow your lead, though. It's a cooking show. Oh, sweet. Um, kind of, it is, because there is a little bit of... Uh, Dungeon mastering and cooking, kind of some similarities there. Yeah. Um, I I always uh, am a little tempted to try being a dungeon master. Mm-hmm. I tried once before, and it was a disaster. I overprepared and did not know what to do when my players did something I wasn't expecting them to do. And then I just lost all my mojo. But there's always a little part of me that's like, I kind of want to try again, but I really don't. And then people always try to give me advice, and it's like the advice is coming from everywhere, and it's yeah. like at different stages of your dungeon mastering, and I don't really know how to piece any of it together. And so I decided 
I know there's other people out there like me. Mm-hmm. I know that there's people who maybe are just beginning their dungeon master journey or they want to start or explore the option of being a dungeon master, but they don't really know where to start. Right. Maybe they're like me and they're scared to do it. Or maybe they just really don't know where to start. So that's what we're going to do. Awesome. This segment is meant to help people from really like square one. Because my very first question for you, where do you start? And I say that wondering what it's like chicken and the egg. What comes first? Right. Your group or your desire to be a dungeon master? You know, uh, both, really. It, it depends on how you came into the hobby, right? right. Uh, so when I, when I discovered uh, Dungeons & Dragons way back when I was a wee little eight- or nine-year-old kid, uh, I was just given the books off of a friend's shelf who didn't want them anymore. So oh, I, just, nice. I spent my formative time with D&D just reading the AD&D books and just trying to figure out what it was all about and drawing graph paper dungeons and all that kind of fun oh. stuff. Yeah, it was great. And then so it was easier to just start... Uh, storytelling at my sister, <laughs> at my little sister and, oh, uh, that's and other friends. little sisters are good for. Yeah, it was pretty good. I didn't really get her into D&D until recently, though. It was Chris Perkins that hooked her in at a live show. So. No way. Yeah, she's in now, though. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, so you started, you kind of came into D&D as a dungeon master then. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, now, a lot of people I know are going to come into it from the player side, where they get invited, pulled into a game play from, you know, that side of the DM screen, mm-hmm. and then maybe they'll get the bug to, hey, it seems kind of cool to be moving all the monsters and telling all these cool stories and give it a try myself, but that can be very daunting, uh, either way you look at it. Yes. So, I mean, where do you start, right? It, it uh, depends on how you came into it, and it just starts with the desire to play, right? Okay. And it could be because you don't have anybody else to run it, so it's it's on you. Yeah. Uh, or you just have an idea percolating around that you want to get out there and put it in front of your friends or put it in front of a group. Uh, either way that you feel like, hey, I kind of want to do this, great. You know. Uh, so do you want to come at it from you've never played D&D before or you're, you know how to play and how do you start running a game? Uh, I, I think people would are probably both, both. out there. Um, but I guess... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, this is a question that I always struggle with. I, sure. I feel like I would want to try DMing for people who don't know how to play D&D. Okay. And then other people were like, no, 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 no. You want people who are experienced because they can help you. Yeah. But I'm so intimidated by that, by actually playing with people who know, because I am fearful that they will just be like, she's screwing this You're up. Doing she doesn't it wrong. know what she's doing. Yeah. Um, so that I think a new person, is they have no idea. Mm-hmm. And then you can just kind of literally make it up if you really don't know what to do. So my first thought there is you've already established some of your comfort level boundaries, right? You feel more comfortable playing with a new group. So go with that. Like if if anything feels right to you, if just the initial gut reaction of I want to run a game like X, do that. (laughs) Right? That's what what you're moved to do. That's what you're enthused about doing. And if you're – excited about doing it, it's going to go much better for everyone, you and your players. So find a new group that wants to play. And, and if we want to go super bare bones, mm-hmm. my, um, my, for a long time now, my go-to advice for someone who wants to jump into DMing is get the starter set. The okay. Lost Mine of Fandelver, the adventure in there, is fantastic for a first-time experience, both for the Dungeon Masters and for the players. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay, so that would be a good place. That's that's a good place for a new dungeon master to start, and mm-hmm. also, so I always think like I, part of the the impetus for me wanting to be a dungeon master is because I keep meeting people that are like oh, I've always wanted to play that, or 
yeah, I would be really curious about it. Right. And then I'm like, well, you should you should find a dungeon master. Bye. <laughs> no, Peace do out. it. <laughs> it's but you. It would be nice to be able to be like, I can be that person. Yeah, especially if you have a group of people who, you know, you, you, you. Yeah. All these people are saying they want to play. Like, well, this Saturday, let's do it. And you it's know? like yeah. parents and their kids. Mm-hmm. And I really am really interested in DMing for kids. Oh, it's and a Is blast. that a bad idea? Or oh, no, idea? it's great. It's fantastic. Because they, I, I think kids have a great potential to go totally off the rails because mm-hmm. their imaginations are just uncapped. And yep. I don't know if that's good or bad for me. Well, uh, that's something you're just going to kind of have to feel out, right? And and that's one of the things to keep in mind is there is no solid, perfect answer for whatever is going to be the best way for you to run a game before you actually try it. So, I mean, the biggest thing is to just start doing it and, and see what feels right and what doesn't. And if something doesn't feel right, don't feel bad about moving away from that and finding yeah. something else that feels feels good. Uh, one thing that I hate seeing DMs, new and veterans alike, try to do is try to run a game that they don't want to run. That will never work. So if something is not working for you, if an element of it is not fun, don't be afraid to revisit that and, and talk to your players about, hey, you know, sorry, folks, this particular thing isn't working. I'm having a hard time. Let's talk about a different way we could go. Okay. Yeah. Communication. Absolutely. Key. Very key. So you have to be these people that you're going to, this imaginary group that I'm putting <laughs> together, it has to be people that we have some level of, of trust among with each other. Yeah, I, I, there should be some level of trust when everybody's sitting down to have this collaborative storytelling right. experience. If you're not comfortable with someone around the table, that can be a detriment. And that's natural if it's not somebody that you've known for years, you're, mm-hmm. not, you're not good friends or family with them, and that's fine. It takes a little while to get to know people. Um, but that communication is key, and being upfront about how you want to run the game and what sort of stories you want to tell. And, uh, you know, we talk about it as a session zero these days. Yeah. Having a conversation about what sort of game you want to run, what kind of game the players want to play, and make sure that matches. Because if it doesn't match, everybody's going to have a bad time. So what if you're such a new dungeon master, you don't know what kind of game you want to run? Right. So, I mean, that's where, like like I said, basic square one, find an easy published adventure and run that. Okay. Um, The the starter set, the essentials kit, both of those are are very good because they have it all laid out for you. They have simplified versions of the rules, so you don't need to get too hung up on that. Pre-generated characters. Pre-generated characters. You can really, if you want to, you can just sit down and play. Um, And all I have to do is read. That's all you have to do. Absolutely. Maybe use a funny voice now and again. Yeah, if if it you know if it strikes your fancy, don't don't feel like you have to uh, <laughs> fully act every uh, every NPC right. in we a different we way. We don't want to get too carried away, right? So, a kind of another chicken and the egg thing is with the group and the the story that you want to to tell and run. Do you are you, do you kind of come to that yourself and then seek out players with that similar view, or do you find the group and then be like? Okay, what do you want to run and hope that it matches? Because well, there might be people I really want to play with yeah. that have a different goal. And sometimes that happens, right? Uh, sometimes you might really want to play with your best friend or your partner or whoever, and, and it just turns out you just don't like playing the same kind of game. Right. And you just need to kind of accept that that's okay. And uh, like you wouldn't um, go to the kind of movie that you hate over and over again, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know. Why would you do the same thing with a role playing game? You're you going to be spending, yeah, you're going to be spending your whole afternoon doing this. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Uh, if something isn't working, if something's not fun, that something needs to be examined and addressed. So. So when you um, say you're, so you're going to play the starter set, say, mm-hmm. um, but there is like what sort of preparation 
do you still need, like you said, you can just open the box and go. But like, I'm brand to say, I'm brand new. Yeah. I don't know. Like, can you really just open the box? And, uh, okay, that was a that was a little bit of an oversimplification. You, but you, a lot of if you have if you have a D and D if you have some D and D experience, mm-hmm. that is probably true. Then you can. Okay. Yeah, if you already know how to play, then you're probably going to be okay. Um, if it's your first time, you definitely want to read over the adventure first okay. rather than just trying to ring it, wing it, or read it at the table while yeah. you're running the game. That's, that's not going to go well. Okay. So bare minimum preparation. Read at least the first section of the adventure that you're going to run. Okay. So, um, so you have an idea of what's coming up. If there's any rules bits that are obviously uh, flummoxing you, you can just look them up and make sure you know how it works. That sort of thing. Right. Um, I mean, that's just basic prep. Just reading through the adventure before you run it. That'll get you a real long way. Just so you, you have an idea of what's coming up. You know, you, you can kind of in the background of your mind prep what's about to happen next and just think about it as the players move forward. Does it benefit you to seek out like a uh, podcast or live streams of the adventure that uh, or the same adventure you're going to run? Oh, absolutely! It that can. is good. That yeah. just, that's not going to get in your head and be like, uh, maybe. But I think the value of seeing someone running uh, a game of D and D, particularly if you've never done it before, yeah. it just can't be understated. Right. Um, the, you know, there's there's reading about it, there's thinking about it, there's being told about it, and then there's seeing someone actually yeah. doing it. That can just that that can immediately break down those barriers that were uh, you know where you just weren't able to wrap your head around yeah. some aspect of what it means to play Dungeons and Dragons or a role playing game in general. And seeing them do it, that can that can just be all the explanation you need. So you've written articles about mm-hmm. how to be a GM or how to start. I have, yeah. I, uh, I wrote an article that was advice for first-time GMs. Okay. Um, and uh, gosh, what did I... Uh, it's been a little while since I looked through it, but um, most of it we hit already is communication, um, making sure that you're upfront with your players, you listen to them about what they like, what they don't like, what kind of stories they want to play. Um, think about the kind of stories that you enjoyed as a player, if you've already played. Um, think about what other kinds of stories you like in other media, other books, you know, TV shows, novel, uh, movies, whatever, mm-hmm. and think about how you could kind of apply some of those situations. That just helps get your imagination hooked. Um, uh, along with communication, think about how to take the player's characters and connect them to the story, right. not just necessarily one encounter to another. Like if they talk about their character's uncle is the most important person in the world to them, think about taking an NPC from somewhere in your adventure scribbling the name out and writing the name of that character's uncle. Now they oh, have an instant connection, right? And so if that if that NPC asks you to do something, they're way more interested in in following along that line and helping out. Or if that NPC gets in trouble, instantly they'll right. want to be involved in the action. So um, I, this is probably going to be two different answers based on these two different groups. But So say um, I'm going to DM for some people who have played D&D before. Mm-hmm. Would, do, you, do you recommend doing some like uh, behind the scenes work before you start like asking them to write up a backstory and making like I had a, a dungeon master once that asked us to do that and then create uh, a link between us and one of the other characters but we didn't tell that character he, we just gave all that information to him and then he kind of threaded that through the story oh yeah yeah certainly if you're uh, if you're comfortable with it like you said if you have players who are um more experienced mm-hmm. with doing that sort of thing, then yeah, uh, absolutely. Let the players do all the work for you that you can. Okay. And then <laughs> what if they're brand new? Would you ask them to do anything? Um, Even like right at, at the game when they sit down? 
maybe not homework before. But. Sure. Um, so I would pro- personally, I would probably try to have a session before we actually start playing, okay. where we kind of go through. If you're going to make characters, make your characters together. If you're going to use pregens, just go through the sheet so everybody gets familiarized with how their character works and what they can do. Yeah. And then you can kind of fill in some of those uh, those personal things. And maybe if you're going to have new players, come up with like a, just a bullet list of three things. Like, what's your character's favorite X? You know, okay. what's something your character hates? You know, that, that sort of thing. And then you can use that to, to create some of those connections. And so I love pregens mm-hmm. for, new peop- for new players especially. Yeah. But my only concern with the pregens is that they're not, they won't get as invested in their character because mm-hmm. they didn't create the character. Because for me, the, when I f- created my first D&D character, I immediately fell in love and I immediately wanted to go on an adventure with her. And it made the whole experience that much better because I really, really loved this character. Because I made her. And it, you don't really get to personalize a lot with your pre-gen. So was it, can you think back to what it was you loved about that? Was it coming up with her name yes. and her story? Was it rolling her, name, her stats? Her story, her, the stats I thought were cool, mm-hmm. although I didn't really understand what any of the stats were because I had never played D&D before. Okay. But I did like the like randomness of like, what am I going to get? Am I going to be smart? Am I going to be charismatic? What am I? Um, but... I really liked her name. I liked um, figuring out, like, what she looked like and um, giving her some backstory and just um, mm-hmm. what I love about 5th edition is, is the, the flaws and the backgrounds the and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I just – I want them to be able to feel, like, some investment in their character mm-hmm. because that, I think that will just make the adventure more fun for them. Yeah. So do you have suggestions for how they... I mean, you gave the bullet list would, would be cool. Yeah. Is there other things that, that we can have them do that makes them feel like they've created this character a little? Sure. So you're talking about kind of starting with a pre-gen, but then helping them put their fingerprint on it. Yeah, and really. I guess even before you tell me that, is that a bad idea no. for a new player? No, not okay. at all. Because I don't want to overwhelm them either. No, and, and you'll kind of maybe have to get a read on your players and see how into whatever part of the game they're at. Yeah. You know, and that's where the conversation comes in beforehand. It's like, are they enthused about writing their own character that they get to play? Are they feeling real nervous about it? And they're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. In that case, handing someone a pre-gen with a bunch of blank spots that they can also fill in, yeah. that might be a good split in the difference. Deal. Compromise, particularly if they're um, not really digging into the mechanic side of things, you can just have that set. Talk to them about what kind of character they want to play, yeah, uh, and just sort of you know give them slightly, a- almost uh, narrative role like descriptions of the classes. Do you want to be a strong frontline fighter who can stand in front of an ogre and protect your friends, or right. would you rather be a subtle, sneaky, you know, yep, you know yep. stab people in the back kind? And so then that starts with them just even picking what they want to do. And so when you hand them the character sheet, even if it has their ability scores already rolled up and their weapons picked, they've already started to invest by making those decisions. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What if they all want to be rogues? Go for it. Just have a party of rogues? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorite parts about 5th edition is with some of the, uh, the particular mechanics like the way short rests work and spending hit dice to heal. You can manage without a healer. Uh, and you know, and the the way backgrounds can help you customize. And if you really want to dig into some more complexity, feats helping you customize even further. Now right. that might be getting a little That's crunchy a little for a first timer. But but yeah, no. I mean, if everybody wants, if everybody is in love with playing some different flavor of rogue, mm-hmm. go for it. 
It'll work. So when when a character picks a background, mm-hmm. are you the dungeon master privy to that background? Um, I mean, when they pick the background for their character, yeah. like the set. I mean, yeah, generally. Is, that, like, is that how it's supposed to work? Like you're. Well, I mean, you know, if everybody wants to show up and hey, I've picked a character, here it is, and they hand it to me for the first time. I mean, I can swing with that. That's not my personal ideal. No, I think the dungeon master should be involved okay. in, in all of those points of the process. In fact, I really enjoy making characters as a group, so that everybody, not that they have influence over what the other characters are playing, but that really helps them build those integrated connections that will make them feel like a team, like friends, like, you know, like colleagues, companions, rather than four people random in a bar. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that's, if you want this, this group to, because it, it's, they're, I'm sticking with like the new, the mm-hmm. new players here. Yeah. So they've never played before. They've never played obviously together. So do you, what are some tips for like how to set the stage for them? Like how did you all get together here? Right. So I would, um... You can go a couple of ways with it. You can just sort of ask, like, go around the table. Tell me one thing you know about or one thing you did with one of the other characters in the group. Oh, that's cool. Right? Something from your past where you two have a connection. You could have been friends, rivals. Maybe you just sort of bumped into each other on the street one day and then you see them again later, that sort of thing. Um, Or you could even have um, some, like, seeds set up. Like, you're all part of this organization. Tell me what was your job in this organization. Okay. Yeah. That, I like that because that also gives them the, the personality mm-hmm. too. Then they have yeah. some little, some more flavor with their, yeah. with their character. Okay, so this is a really big phobia, and oh. I know that other people share this right. as well. Right on me. Um, when you now you're playing with people who do know how to play D and D. Okay, this was an actual question that um, came up on Twitter. Okay, I may have paraphrased it, but I I think this is very. Because so many people ask this question. I'm afraid my players are going to know more about D&D than I do. So if they were to ask a question about a monster Mm -hmm. and I make them do a a role to see if they know the answer and they do, Mm -hmm. what if I don't know the answer? So uh, (laughs) there's two easy answers to, to, two, two answers to this question. One is, say, give me just a second, crack your book open. Take a quick skim, see if that information is there. What if it's not? If it's not, make it up. Okay. I mean, you're, you're the dungeon master or whatever. If you decide that goblins in your world all loathe the color orange, then that's a thing. And that okay. can become some, some weird, interesting thing that, that becomes part of the, the culture of this group of goblins that your players are going to be fighting. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean you feel free to make up, change twist whatever you need to make things work. So I think that's like the thing that I dread is like I don't know the answer. I have to look. And then mm-hmm. well, I don't even know where to look. I right. guess for that question I'd probably look in the monster manual. Sure. But uh, other questions I would be so scared. Like I don't know the rules for like and then I would just panic. Like somebody's like I want to climb this wall. Well so particularly if you're playing with a group of uh, veteran players just kind of lean on them and say, hey, you know, you, you've played this game before. Do you know if there are rules on how you climb a wall? And somebody may be able to just rattle that right off or will know where to look in the player's handbook for that sort of thing. You don't have to know everything. Uh, there's no way that any given person can know everything in any role-playing game. It's just not going to happen. I guess that's the, the crux of it. Like, you just, yeah. you just have to accept that. Absolutely. You don't have to know yep. everything. Lots of questions are going to come up, and the immediate answer is, I don't know. So then you either 
look it up, make it up, or put the <laughs> put the burden on one of your players to to help you out. And I think that's why I like the idea of new players because mm-hmm. if the, if I they say I want to climb this wall and I'm like, give me an athletics check, they don't know that that's probably not the right thing to sure. do. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So finally, because there's so much to cover, and I don't want to be, I don't want to overwhelm. Sure. My brain and anyone else's brain. Last one, make it good. Okay. You got your players. Uh-huh. They're excited to play. I want them to have a good time. Yes. What do you do short of like fudging their die rolls? But, or maybe you do, like, what can I do to, at least for one session, make sure that everybody has a moment or mm-hmm. everybody has felt like they've contributed and somebody, like, it's fun for everyone? Got it. What do you do? Well, uh, so. This is where it's helpful to all sit down and make characters. So you'll have hopefully an idea of what each of the players is most interested in, what their characters would be interested in. Just take a few notes during that session. If okay. this if this person is really into protecting their loved ones, then you can just have a, have a monster or an NPC or a villain, you know, someone just kind of in your back pocket, and they can show up at the worst possible moment, and it's up to the fighter to stand in the doorway and hold them off while everybody finishes what you're doing, and you can escape that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so yeah, you just pay attention to to their to their wants and hopes and how they play and what seems to get them excited, and then you can just drop that in. It doesn't matter if it's not written into the adventure or right. if you didn't think of it when you wrote your own adventure previously. You can change anything you need on the fly, especially if it's going to lean into something that your players really enjoy. It's really sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I just want them to have a really good time. That's the point. It, do you think it's important though for every single session for every single player to feel? validated in some way or is it just like hey sometimes you're the hero sometimes you're not you know if you can if you can hit that note that's great but sometimes the dice just aren't going to go your way and everybody needs to needs to just kind of accept that you know this may be an off week for you and and that's rough but do you ever fudge die rolls (sighs) uh very rarely very, very rarely. Um, I, I came up in a more cutthroat <laughs> sort of sort of D and D where uh, where when people died, you came back in with a level one character, cool. despite what the uh, you know what the rest of the group was at. So it was a it was a different time. Um, well, do you do you play D and D with your kids? I do. Are you a dungeon master? I am. Do they get invested in their characters? Incredibly. Would you kill one of their characters? I would. Oh my god! I would. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? I would, I would. I, mean, I it's you a know, good lesson. So here's I guess. the thing. Um, here's a goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fifth edition is very good at um, creating that tension where characters can die, but also giving you a lot of outs. A lot of things have to go wrong um, most of the time for a yeah. character to die, unless you're actually pushing to kill them, like attacking downed characters and that sort of thing. Which oh. that's that's a level of ruthless that I'm yeah. that I generally don't go. Uh, un, you know, unless I know my players are are in for that sort of hardcore experience, in which case, or they know, want a new all character. bets are off. Yeah, that's that too. <laughs> if someone's like, hey, if someone talks well, to me I'm and says, with this "Yeah, I, this new thing I saw, I really want to try," I'm like, eh, "Yeah, we can handle that." Oh my god, it's <laughs> awful. Yeah, euthanasia for characters. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to kind of have the now you realize that your characters can die, maybe. And uh, and my son was like, "Well, I'll just." I'll just erase the name oh. <laughs> and put a new name on it. I'll, I'll play His twin brother. Exactly. Yep. He went straight to that old trope. Okay. <laughs> Whatever works. Yeah. Man. Fair enough. All right. I think this is this is good. Yeah. This is this has been very very helpful. Good. I don't want to to dive into too much too soon. 
It is a very deep well. <laughs> it is, and there's there is much more to um, to cover. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate you taking your time, yeah, or taking the pleasure. time to do this. So, um, Dan Dillon, I forgot to mention what you actually do here. Yeah, what, uh, you, what do you do here? I'm a game designer on the D and D team. Oh, that's why you know so much about Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. <laughs> And then um, where can people find out more about you and the things you're working on? Sure. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. I'm hiding in plain sight with that super clever handle. Well, the one makes it, there's elevates a, it. Turns out there's a lot of Dan Dillons out but there. But you're number one. And most of them are already on Twitter. <laughs> I, that is true, actually. When I was tagging you in my post yesterday, I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, I better make sure I'm tagging the right Dan Dillon. Yeah, there's a lot of us out there. Well... The more Dan Dillon's, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I'll take it. All right. (laughs) Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Shelly. I learned a lot. What a great segment. That's what I'm hoping, that even if you are an experienced Dungeon Master, listening to other Dungeon Masters might even give you some ideas. Uh, It always does. It always does. Every Dungeon Master is different. That is, that is so cool. That is a great segment, and I can't wait to hear more. Me too. I hope that it helps uh, build the confidence of future Dungeon Masters out there. If you're... Myself included. Yeah, you just got to try it, man. It's, it uh, is so much fun. You, in particular, I've been trying to get you to Dungeon oh, Master for, Many what, have tried. Decades now, it feels like. Decades. Emotional decades. Yes. Yeah. I didn't even be, know like, who that voice was in my so, ear telling me. You're just so... You're so... Um, I, I use this this phrase a lot. You're just so down to clown, and yeah. and that's what a dungeon master has to be. Is like I'm ready to play with you no matter where you go. That's it. Know. That's all you need. I don't know, man. Something about DMing just scares me. But I'm working on it. And after a certain amount of, I hope this is built into the plan for this segment. Is like Shelly gets to do ten of these, and then she has to dungeon master. It is my segment, and I did not build it that way. <laughs> <laughs> So there right, is well, no test at the end. Everybody uh, peer pressure Shelly into DMing. Thank you. Um, speaking of DMing, you know who's a great dungeon master? Brian Murphy. Brian Murphy. From Not Another D&D Podcast. That's right. All right. Shall uh, we talk to him? Let's talk to him. Let's, I can't wait to talk to this guy. Let's do it. Bring him in. Murph. Murph. From Not Another D&D Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thank very excited you. to be here. Thank you for being here. And first, first question. Yes. <laughs> She's like, how do you feel? Get your tissues. How do you feel about the acronym NADPOD? You into it? Yes, I am into it because, yeah, not another D&D podcast while kind of a fun meta take on, uh, you know, D&D podcast names is not something you can say easily. Yeah. Uh, NAD, so I, I, like the, I like the NAD part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's catchy. <laughs> you like that? Stands people, out? People are really going to like that word. Um, yeah. the, people do like that word because, as I was telling Kate before, mm-hmm. that um, this morning several people came running up to me and they were like, I love NADPOD! Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not that good at like putting the acronyms together, so I had no right. idea what they were telling me at first. And like, you like, like Tide Pods? Is this some kind of shock, What's jock, a, weird show? What are you? Also, yeah, like, why, why are, are but you they, like, no, there was no context. It was just, I love Ned Pod, oh my God. I'm like, I don't know why you're telling me this. I have no idea why you're telling me this. I like that your first thought was Tide Pods. I went right to Tide Pods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a uh, podcast where we eat Tide Pods. Uh, cool. And you can't see it, but you do hear us gagging 
and um, yeah, we've lost a, a couple of our co-hosts, but um, well, you know. there's always more, as yeah, we know, as Greg Tito knows. Yeah, there's always someone waiting to take your place. Don't need him. Um, having a podcast of just gagging sounds, I think, is really a great idea. Gag, Thank you. Gag, yeah. gag pod. Gag pod. Yeah, uh, we're um, tearing up the charts. Truly, <laughs> we have. You have a lot of fans here at Wizards of it's the Coast. True, many, true. many people um, have been listening to this podcast from the beginning, and uh, many, many people told me how much they love you as a dungeon master because you're you're just this incredible storyteller. So, oh, thank you. That you, is, um, yeah, I'm the biggest uh, Wizards fanboy. So that I, is. I heard you were. The, you the even came. Is mutual. You yes, came to our were. office. Yes, when we were um, we did our first show in Seattle, uh, and um, we met uh, Rob and Sarah, who yep. worked at uh, Wizards, and we came and got to visit. It was uh, it was wonderful. That's awesome. You gonna yeah. are you gonna nerd out on them now, or are you gonna nerd out on them later? Do you prefer that I save my nerdiness for the end of the podcast, or just straight up tell you? I think sp- sprinkle it throughout. Okay. You know, this is um, <laughs> so I'm a little embarrassed. Because, like, also I'm not great at acronyms, but I'm also not great at, like, piecing people, names and faces together with with anything. So I know, because we, you know, you're here as, because uh, we love your podcast and um, our community loves your podcast. And it wasn't until this morning that I, I came to the realization that I'm a huge fan of one of your other projects, Hot Date. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah. And then I got super nerdy because then I ran out of the bathroom screaming with the hairdryer in my hand, screaming to my husband, Oh my God, do you know who we're talking to today? Oh my God. <laughs> She's like, real like, drying the hair. All the levels blown out. In oh real my life. God. Yep. And he got super excited. He was like, No way. No way. Oh my God. Like, we did not, we didn't, we didn't put the two of you together. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that uh, because um, me and all my co-hosts, uh, in, in, who includes um, Emily Axford, who I do a hot date with, and who yeah. is my wife in real life, um, um, we all met at College Humor, and I'll see that pop up sometimes where you know people because they're just listening to us uh, don't recognize Jake from Jake and Amir or things like oh, that. Oh wow! So I, 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 I think it's great when um, we can you know, find an audience in the D&D community who then finds out we're in College Humor instead of vice yes. versa kind of means that we earned them, you know, the, the right way. <laughs> yes, the right way. Yeah, yeah well, you, you play so many different characters on Hot Date that maybe, like, that's why I didn't recognize you right away. Although Emily's, it was listening to your podcast and, like, her voice. I know this voice. This is my Friday night bottle of wine Netflix boys. <laughs> I know who they are now. Um, but we, we love that show. And it's always in my, um, when people always ask, what's a good thing to stream? I, it's always in the top three of what oh, I thank recommend. Thank you so much. Thank you. I can't wait to this. So, yeah, Shelly nerded out about this earlier. I was trying to be cool. It's on. I was like, all right, add it to watch list. She's doing yeah. it. She's evangelizing. But you know what? Like, why, why be cool about these things? No, if somebody don't. loves your work and is appreciative of it, then they should tell you. Yeah. Like, why would I'm, I just be I'm like, all, I'm all for it. it, especially when it's about me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If yeah. anyone wants to say any nice things about me, feel free. Sound off. Sound okay. off in the comments. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you heard him. <laughs> Come on, chat. Elevate the compliments. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we should probably start at the beginning with you and how you even first discovered this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Yeah, so um, 
I have actually not been playing that long. Um, D&D was always this kind of like far off mysterious thing to me that uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I think it's hard sometimes to find a DM. I know in like high school and college, I didn't really know too many people who played. But then um, it was like three or four years ago. And Brennan Lee Mulligan, who does, um, he, he DMs Dimension 20. He's done some stuff with um, Adventure Zone and whatnot. Um, he said that he would DM a game for us. And um, me and Emily and a few other people um, played a game. And it changed my life. And immediately after playing one game, I went and bought all the books and started DM. My second session, I DM'd. Nice. Because... Oh I knew I, I was like, I, all I want to do is talk about this. All I want to do <laughs> is play this. The only way to facilitate it is to run 10 games and then maybe I'll be, you know, sated. The beast will be sated. Exactly. Yeah. This is a very similar thing. We were just talking about it this um, I, I, before the break. It was uh, that very similar for me. My very first game of DMing was right after I got the job here as a game designer like ooh, I should probably learn how to DM, and I just it that that bug bit me. It w- and I I can't get enough. I love DMing. I love it more than being a player. It's so much. Oh, fun. me too. So much yeah. fun. Well, what do it's you just, love about it? What is it? I I love everything about it. I like. I'm I'm a little bit of a control freak, Same. so I like I like Same. being the boss. Mm-hmm. I like being the boss, um, which is great. But then also just uh, you get to play the game whenever you want because even if you're not actively in a session if you're the dm there's always if you come up with a cool idea for an encounter you can sit down and start working on it if you know a new module comes out even if you're not gonna run that module you can sit there and read it and it's research to come up with cool encounters for something in the future so it's just this cool very interactive hobby that um, when you DM, you you just have, like, fun homework all the time, yeah, basically. that's true. That's a good way of putting you it. Guys yeah, are nerdy. Oh, yeah. my God. Wow. You guys want more homework. Jeez Louise. <laughs> this one. This is, no, that, that, that's interesting. But So when you first played, you played as a, you were a player. But there yes. was something about it that sparked your your joy. Yeah, I think, honestly, I could have stayed just being a player if my seven-person group could have just met every single day. I could have probably mm, yep. just been a player, but I just I, I needed it too much, and I didn't know too many other people that um, played. Yeah. And it seemed kind of like this insurmountable thing at first because when you, when you hear somebody DM, you think it takes so much prep, and you, and you think people have to have been doing it for a long time. But yes, I do. It, it it it's so low stakes when you're when you're just kind of hanging out with your friends and stuff. Like the the first time I played with all my friends, we just ran the um, starter set and everyone had a blast. I wasn't very good, but I was fine, and we all had fun. So you know, from there, I was I was pretty hooked. How long did it take you to go from playing that for fun to wanting to perform it? I think it was. So at the time that I had started DMing, um, me and Caldwell, uh, who's another one of the players on the show, and Emily had a podcast uh, called 8-Bit Book Club, 
where we would read very bad video game books um, and just <laughs> uh, talk about them and do little summaries and do things Amazing. like that. Yeah. Um, so we would kind of flirt with D&D stuff there. We would sometimes do uh, episodes where we did a series called Monster Madness where they would pick, I would DM it, and they would pick teams of the scrubbiest monsters, monsters that are like a quarter challenge rating, yeah. like flying flying sword versus <laughs> goblin and things like that. <laughs> and so they would do this, you know, I would set it up, it would be in a coliseum, and then they would fight it out. And then I think the I think a zombie won by beating flying sword in the in the finale. Nice. Um, and then um, Jake, uh, Jake Hurwitz is another player, um, runs this podcast network HeadGum, and we knew him through College Humor and everything, and he approached us. Uh, he approached me at a party and said he really wanted to do a D&D podcast. So we'd already kind of had, uh, we'd flirted with it in the past, so we decided to go forward with it, and it became instantly much bigger than our um, <laughs> uh, show about um, reading video game books. Why do you think it was bigger? I mean, just the D&D audience being hungrier for it, or, or what? I think that's part of it, and then I, I people like, the serialized aspect of it and the storytelling aspect of it, I think inherently, if you're reading a different dumb book every week, it's um, it doesn't have quite the same retention, and it's not as I don't know, it's not as big in scope. Every every episode, even though some will be funnier than the than the others, they all have the same stakes. They're all the kind of same. But right. you know, when you listen to a D and D podcast, it's like, oh, I want to I want to hear what happens. Right. Makes sense. Um, what do you find different? Uh, that What is the difference between performing performative D&D and D&D that you're just playing around the table with friends? What, what's your experience there? I think the, the good thing about performative D&D is it encourages people to make quick decisions. Because at home games, you can sit there and you can debate what is the perfect move forever. Oh yeah, and um, that is not a that it is more fun when people just take big chances and take big swings, and it's easier to do that when you know an audience is listening and you want to make an entertaining show. But when you're playing at home, you just want your character to not die, so you'll sit there and you'll look <laughs> at all your stats and you'll try to figure out the exact right thing to do. Um, the more fun thing about home games, on the flip side, is that. You can do something that would be boring to listen to, but that is very fun for you to do. Mm-hmm. Like in our one campaign, uh, in our home game, one of my character um, is a blacksmith, and we spent an entire session, like four hours of just us in a cave building items. And that would be, it would be the worst radio. It would be the worst show ever. <laughs> But it's really fun to make yourself a holy lance and oh, spend totally. like two weeks of in-game time doing it. Hell yeah! So, yeah, I think I think they both have their have their ups and downs. I think DMing performatively is a little tougher just because you are then beholden to all of the decisions you made earlier. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, ah, I teased this cursed sword thing. And I improvised that. Well, in a home game, maybe that just gets dropped or maybe you retconned it or whatever. But in this, people have theories about it online. Exactly. And so now I, need, now I need to write a tragic backstory for this, this dude who lives in a sword. Yeah, it's Chekhov's cursed sword. 
I know. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you, do you actually like look at like fan sites and to see what people are, what theories are coming up with? And do you ever like be like, didn't think of that, but going to do that one now. I do. I I try to do a cursory glance just to see uh, what people like and what people don't like, but I try not to get too into the weeds with it because I I do think you could get into a feedback loop where you're trying to meet people's expectations. And then also sometimes if you have an NPC or something where they are secretly working against the party or they're shady, but they're but later it's going to turn out that they're good. You might read all these things, people saying that they hate this NPC or that they love this NPC or something, but they don't have all the info. So I, ta- I, I look at the, you know, the macro of it and I say, people like this episode. That's good. Let's do more things like that. But I try not to you know, let uh, individual opinions shape what the, what the show is. So what are some of the, the things that you've noticed the audience really um, responds well to? I think that people really like the sad episodes more than the, fu- than the funny ones. Totally. Yeah. But I think you got to earn those funny ones. I think it's, uh, it's like that one of, one of everybody's favorite Futurama episodes is the episode with the dog. The dog at the end. <laughs> it's truly so brutal. It's truly punishing. So brutal. Yes. But you don't earn that unless you have a bunch of episodes where, you know, Fry is in, is a lovable idiot and then suddenly you're hit with this kind of emotional uh, poignancy. So I, I try to space out the, you know, big devastating episodes or the, or the shows with really, really big stakes with things that are like a little bit sillier. But people tend to respond more to the episodes that are that are tragic or we learn somebody's sad backstory or something like that than they do um, your average episode. For and for a comedy podcast, I think that's kind of that's kind of funny. It is interesting. And and you're you're spot on the money. Like if you if you made every episode sad, I think that you would find a very different kind of reaction from the audience. They'd be like, "This is just a stone cold bummer, man." Yeah, you just gotta yeah. you gotta have that you gotta have that little taste every once in a while. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, that makes you feel more invested in the characters or, or in the story too. When you do have those moments of like, not everything is just it's not all fun and games, you guys. Mm-hmm. Like, there's actual right. <laughs> things happening here, right? Yeah. So, can you give us a little backstory about the podcast for people maybe who haven't given it a listen yet? Like, wh- what world are are you set in, and uh, who are some of the characters? Totally. Uh, so, the original idea behind the show was that um, the players are in a world that has already been "quote unquote" saved. A D and D, a previous D and D campaign, has already gone through and beaten the uh, big, bad, evil necromancer who was trying to take over the world. Um, and the idea is that um, when, you play, when you play D&D, crews of adventurers, while they do end up usually killing the main bad guy, they also upend governments. They just go through towns <laughs> killing people. It's, it's complete chaos, and they never stick around to actually you know, yep. make things right. It's just you go into town, you kill the evil vizier, uh, and then you you peace out before they figure out who the new leadership is going to be. Yeah. And, no, 
And you know, as soon as they leave, there's just going to be a new evil person who, um, or a worse person that pops up. Um, so that was the idea of the show was that there were these three original heroes who went through and they were the hero- they were more heroic. They were more legendary than our current heroes. Um, but the new heroes are kind of dealing with the fallout of um, the sort of mistakes uh, that, that come along with a um, D&D campaign and the, the ramifications. That's genius. What a great setup. Thank you. That's really cool. And then who are the, the characters? Um, so the characters are, uh, it's, it's very funny because at this point they've grown so much, but if I have to describe them in a sentence or two, they all sound so ridiculous. Um, the f- uh, Jake plays Hard One Surefoot, who is a human fighter. Uh, he's a human raised by dwarves in a dwarfenage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Why has nobody thought of that before? That's genius. Incredible. I love it. I, I'm pretty sure Emily coined that term when we, we did a like episode zero where we we're all trying to figure out our characters. Incredible. And um, yeah, Jake's whole thing is he wanted to play an, an orphan who was kind of uh, out of place. So he was this big, tall human amongst all these um, dwarves that lived in a mountain. And then Emily came up with the term dwarfenage, oh which, which is very funny. And then uh, Caldwell plays Beverly Togold V, who is a rich uh, little halfling boy scout uh, who uh, is a paladin. And he, he is part of a religious boy scout order called the Green Teens. And <laughs> The show, the show opens with the uh, the green team jamboree. Um, oh my god! It just gets better and better. Yeah, uh, and they have to they have to save some missing green teens who get kidnapped by some bullywugs. Uh, that's that's kind of the opening of the show, and then Emily plays um, a an invented sub race of elves. Uh, she plays a crick elf. Oh yeah. Um, uh, named Moonshine Sybin. <laughs> and the, the, I love crick, the crick elf. Yeah, oh, the, the crick elves, they're basically, they're wood elves, um, but uh, the wood elves in this world um, are kind of, are rednecks yes. who live in kind of a swampy area that is still magical, but they all live in stumps and stuff. Oh and um, the whole, the first like 25 episodes of the show is Emily setting up all of these insane Crick traditions and all of these things <laughs> that uh, the Crick elves do. And then I had to eventually deliver on that at uh, around, amazing. yeah, some, somewhere in the first quarter of the show, uh, we had to go to the Crick, which was, um, that's like, that's my favorite uh, invention uh, of the show is probably the Crick. And then Emily, of course, has a, a possum familiar named Paw Paw. <laughs> of course. Of course <laughs> she would. I love it that now there's that the Crick is part of, of this world. Yeah, absolutely. The crick Elf is kind of genius. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm taking notes. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. So this was, everybody was relatively new to D&D when you guys started this podcast? Or did the other, I know you and Emily said you, or you started yeah, playing. so yeah, so Emily and I. So by the time we started the podcast, Emily and I had probably been playing D anD D for a little over a year, um, maybe maybe like a year and a half. And then um, Jake was completely new 
Jake's first game of D&D is recorded. It is episode one of this podcast. Oh, my God. Is him oh, wow. learning everything about the show, um, which is funny because he set up his character to kind of just be this super tough Aragorn type who's just this big, buff, handsome guy who rules at everything. Uh-huh. And level one characters are terrible. So he inevitably sucked and <laughs> that that became his his character thing then he's like he's kind of a blowhard and he's um you know he he bites off more than he can chew and um that that became his character quirk which he discovered kind of very organically do you think jake is having fun playing dnd jake loves dnd excellent. excellent yeah as uh yeah it's uh it's great to, to especially in the beginning to have gotten to you know, experience it kind of through his eyes because I, I remember playing D&D for the first time and how much I loved it and just being like, wait, this is a thing. I can just do anything. I can just walk up to the bar and punch the bartender in the face uh-huh. and that that is the thing. Then we can go with that. Right, you know? yeah. uh, and so you can, you can hear Jake go through that, especially in the early episodes of the show. And, and at this point, you know, he's got he's taken magic feats and things like that. So he's, uh, he's an expert at this point. He knows, he knows what he's doing. Awesome. What level, what level are y'all? It sounds like you're ending this campaign or maybe you already have. Yeah, we're, um, everybody's level 14 right now. Um, and we were at episode, we just released episode 82. And I think no matter what, I'm going to end campaign one at episode a hundred, but it might be a little bit before that. And we release weekly, so we have a few months. We'll, we'll take a little time off around the holidays and stuff. But um, by spring, we'll be we'll be done and we'll be ready to start a new campaign. So wow. gearing up, kind of for the end game here. Yeah how do, how are you prepping for that as as the DM? No spoilers, I guess. But like, yeah. what's your process? Um, it's very terrifying because I don't I don't want to undo uh, I don't want to Game of Thrones it and uh, throw <laughs> throw away everything I've worked on um, by having a you know an unsatisfying ending, but yeah, kind of just the the way I prep any session and I think I'm trying my best not to start any new threads or anything like these, I I specifically gave myself, you know, these last string of 20 episodes to just be, okay, these are the bad guys. These are the ones who are left. We go and we, we see what those people are doing. We master plans come to fruition and all of that. And, uh, then, then we're going to call it. Um, I'm trying not to plant any new seeds or anything like that. I'm trying to give people kind of satisfying ends to the conflicts that have already been set up and, you know, not, not fake people out by introducing too many, too many new things. So, uh, when the new campaign starts, are they going to be new characters or are they going to be the same characters? Yeah, no, they're going to, um, there'll be new characters and we haven't, we actually haven't decided if we're going to be in the same world in the future or if we're going to try, something completely different. I think we're probably going to keep the same world just because um, we've all kind of grown accustomed to it. And I like the the current world that we play in is kind of like uh, Eberron. It's, it's mm-hmm. got that kind of steampunk vibe where you can do anything. You you know, people, it's, it's sword and sorcery, but then also you can have trains and you can have airships and things like that. 
And that kind of flexibility, I think, uh, lets us have interesting encounters and keep everything very different. Whereas I think if um, I were to do a low magic campaign, that's not as much my strong suit. I like to be able to kind of hop around. Right on. You'll still be the dungeon master, I take it. Yeah, I think so. Um, actually, uh, Caldwell runs um, a uh, another campaign for us that we play monthly. That's um, wonderful. Uh, but I think we'll. I, I think we're kind of trying to stick with uh, what uh, people expect of us and kind of what's working with the show, which is uh, I, I think those guys have such. good chemistry as players and we have such good chemistry uh, with the four of us kind of playing as we have been. So I I think we might do some side quests or um, some things in the interim. And who knows, maybe if if one of those things really takes off or people really respond to it, maybe we would just run with it. But I think as things stand right now, I will probably continue to run it. What are some things that you did in your first campaign that you're going to change for this next one? if anything? I gave my players too many cool things and now they beat me up all the time. <laughs> I hear this as a yeah. lot that a dungeon master will say as, as a, a mistake that they made is giving their players too much cool stuff. Yeah, that'll, that'll happen. <laughs> and also, I have, I have a very... Uh, my players don't respect me. <laughs> we have Naturally, a very... Yeah. We have a... We have an, um, uh, we, we say that uh, Brennan, who, who runs D20, he's like a, a father DM and, and people respect him and stuff. But I'm an older brother DM <laughs> where I'm mean in a petty way, not mean in a, a way that actually, you know, um, makes a character nefarious or something. It is actually me, Ryan Murphy, who is <laughs> So then my players come back at me with that, with that venom and... Um, yeah, so they not only beat me up, but then uh, make fun of me for it live on air. Yeah, and, yeah. I think that's that's part of the the player's handbook. I think that's in there that you have to yeah. be, you have to be really mean to your DM if it's on a live stream. <laughs> oh yeah. But I will say, my um, at the descent this year, I DM'd a game with my DM as a player, and he he got he got the last laugh. He was able to give me what, three years' worth of shit right back to me in front of a live audience? So don't worry, your day is coming, Murph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get, I, get my wins in, I get my wins in when I can. I, I will say that the last episode ended with uh, Emily saying, you suck. So that means, you know, Hell I did yeah. my job. Yes. Emily saying it or Emily's character saying it? Uh, em- Emily Axford. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, telling me Brian Murphy the person that I suck. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, D and D is is can be good or bad for couples. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I we totally have that. Um, we, we we always talk about this on our after show and everything. That just the type of people I grew up with and everything. I truly love being made fun of by my friends. It is my. It's how you know favorite. you're loved. It's, yes, exactly. It's like a so. whole love language. There's, there's like gift giving, favors, <laughs> and then there's torment. Yes. Like there's yeah. there's a certain kind yeah. of person for whom torment means I love you. Yes. You Emily, Emily says that. She says, I think your love language <laughs> is being razzed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> there's a person here, Richard Witters. 
Man, he'll just he, come over and set it up and yeah. then he'll wait for me to dunk on him and it just makes his day. Yeah. He loves it so yeah. much. He does. Like, yeah. He'll come over and just be all like, oh, I'm, uh, like, sh- I'm sh- just a schluppy guy. Yeah. Tell me I am. Tell me I am. Yeah. <laughs> you are, Richard. He's <laughs> like, yeah. I love you too. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole kind you of person. Now I'm interested in like putting love languages on like D&D Play. Like, what kind of player are you oh, based on your, yeah. the, your D&D language? The, the D&D love languages by yes. Shelley Mazinobel. Yeah. I need to know. Like, there's different types of players and, how, and then how, as a dungeon master, you can respond to those players and yes. vice versa. Yes. We need to get in on those. Uh, I want to talk to you about, there's a um, uh, something you mentioned earlier about um, what players, res- or rather what listeners are responding to on your podcast. And I wonder... Um, of course, fifth edition is very heavy on the rule of cool and whatever's awesome at the table is, is what you're going to go with. Um, and sometimes that can lead to uh, people doing a great deal of correcting you when it comes yes. to your, <laughs> your listening audience. Yes. So I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to you about that <laughs> and how do, you, how do you stick by the rule of cool um, and how much, how much does like, people correcting you online, how, how does that affect you, if at all? Um, before you answer, can I ask a quick question? Yes. What is the rule of cool? Oh. I don't know what the rule of cool is. Does that mean that I'm not cool? It means you're not cool, Shelly. You're not cool. If I don't know the rules for cool, then clearly. Okay, well, right. Mur- Murph, go being, ahead. Being, Give. Cool, being cool is all about knowing the rules. Oh, really. for God's yeah. sake. This that's is my biggest fear. That's the number one rule of cool. You and obviously, I do. Be cool. <laughs> yeah, you have to read a detailed instruction booklet. Um, what does the rule of cool mean to you and your group? Uh, I think it is that uh, cool, cool, fun things take precedence over the letter of the rule. I think okay. I tend to follow the spirit of the rules. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've run a bunch of games at this point. We've done a lot of episodes. I understand the mechanics of D and D, where if if somebody wants to do something. I can figure out a way to give them a check for it. I know how to set like a difficulty class for it and whatnot. And I I think it is kind of more important to to follow those instincts and kind of just go with your players than it is to just flat out say you can't do that. Right. But right. Sometimes sometimes you should say that because if players just run around and can do whatever they want, then there are no stakes and then that's no fun either. I try to tell my players that they are not Bugs Bunny, they are Legolas, which means <laughs> you can ride you can ride a shield down some stairs and it'll be rad and you can shoot a bunch of people, but you cannot like take somebody's blunderbuss and and twist it up or put your fingers inside a cannon sure. and make it, you know. I like um, I like that being two sides that. two sides of the same coin. One side Bugs Bunny. Right. Other side Legolas. Yes. You can't yeah. be both. You can't be both. Okay, well, that's cool. What does the rule of cool mean to you? Um, it's the same. It's it's the and it it's in the uh, player's handbook. I think it's either in the player's handbook or the the dungeon master's guide. Is these rules are here so long as they make your table fun? Okay, and whatever your table doesn't find fun, leave behind or change. Is There's, it really called the rule of cool? I, it, I believe it is in the book. Yeah, yeah. I totally missed that. And it's it's uh, the. Every rule in Dungeons and Dragons is a suggestion. If right. you want to change it, there is no hard and fast. Yeah, you can you can go by every single rule that we have written, and you're, that's the way your table's going to run. 
Or if you're like, no, I think I'm going to switch it up right here because this is going to be more fun or it's going to be a cooler moment. It's going to make someone feel really hardcore. Like all of those things are the, as like Murph, as you're saying, like at the table, you're going to figure that out with, with the group and to, and to adapt and in that moment. Um, and that can make, uh, that can make some people very frustrated with you online. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's a balance, you know, you figure it out. Yeah. I think it's good to, I, I, um, I, I like to say, don't at me uh, at the end of the show. Never um, at me, no. Ne- never <laughs> at me. But I actually, I don't. True, I don't mind being added because then I can, I can take note of it. I'm just like, okay, next time I know this is how the spell works. I know this is the little mistake sure. I made. But I'm not gonna get into the weeds of then responding to that person being like, actually, here's why I changed it or something. Right. If somebody, if somebody says. Actually, you did this thing wrong, and it's just some homebrew thing that uh, you know I did. That that also happens all the time. Yeah. So it's it's half I make mistakes, and half it's just you know the monster I presented was not the exact one that you pulled out of the monster manual while you were listening exactly, and che- yeah. double checked his HP against um, the audio recording. It's kind, of, it's kind of ironic because the the folks who who do get up your butt about rules online have not clearly read the entire rule book because the rule of cool is on the first friggin' page. Like yeah. you've, you, you've read every other rule except for the rule that says you can ignore whatever rule you want. <laughs> Seriously. They, I guess I'm among them because I, I miss that. Yeah. I also yeah, did not read every rule, but yeah, I like to. Yeah. So also we're, we're the DMS. So we're just, we're right. Yeah, you're right. That rule I remember. We say is just correct. So I also if feel I made, like I made a mistake. You made a mistake. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's not, exactly. It's if the you're fault. if you're listening to a a podcast that is meant to be entertaining, like there has to be, you have to give them some creative license. I agree. It's okay. Yeah. It's for entertainment purposes. And also, podcasts are not any table well, that out there can can use or or abuse any rules that we have. Yes. Like, just do whatever is going to be the most fun. Speaking of DMing, though, Murph. Yes. I'm on a campaign to try to get my dear co-host Shelly Mazenoble to DM her first game. She is shaking. It won't be my first game. That's the problem. Oh, you've DM'd before. Yes, and it was. It went very poorly. How? Oh Tell, no. How did it go poorly? Okay, this is what happened. I um, took a, a published adventure and I customized it. Uh-huh. And first mistake, I customized it to something that I thought would be really cool. Yeah. And. I don't think my players were interested, but it was something that was really interesting to me. Sure. Number one. That, I, you haven't done anything wrong okay. yet. All right. Well, anyway, I was like super prepared to the point where we started the adventure and I said, what do you want to do? And they said, I want to do this thing. And I was like, that's not what I thought you were going to do. And now I don't know what to do. Okay, that's, then, that's classic. And yeah. then I melted down and I could never get back on track. And oh. I just remember like their sad little faces or like they were like trying to be like encouraging. Like we're still smiling at you. And like, it's okay. Don't spiral. Don't spiral. <laughs> it's like the way you would look at like your neighbor's kid if he was like, do you want to hear me play the trombone? And you're like, oh, you're you're super earnest and adorable. I don't want to, but I'm going to. So I'm just going to smile at you. 
Yeah. So I was a nerdy kid with a trombone, and I just like they wanted it to end. I wanted it to end. It was just me, like, like then I just flubbed everything, and I was like, I hate it. I'm never gonna be a DM. Okay, so Murph, walk Shelly through what she did wrong. But I want to be a DM. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I actually I took some notes here. Uh, (laughs) I love it. DM clinic. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think actually the um, the starter set uh, taught me a cool thing which is um or give me give me a cool idea rather which is uh in Fandolin, the town that you start in when you when you have the uh the starter set adventure you have this kind of bigger arc where you're trying to i don't totally remember it off the top of my head something to do with goblins you need to you have like a bigger task at hand that has to do with goblins but there are also these bullies in town um called i think they're called the red brand um, or something. It's been that a long time right. since I've run it. Yeah. There are um, these bullies in town who are kind of terrorizing the local taverns, and you meet them out on the streets and everything. And your players can kind of decide. You know, obviously, it's D D, so they can decide to do whatever they want. But it gives them the having some kind of bully element in town, and then also a larger quest gives kind of the illusion that they have all these choices and it's this big world when all you've done is put some tough people in the bar and you don't even have to plan that much extra. You're just like, okay, this is the quest I want them to go on, but also there's these really mean barbarians that are ordering people around and making them give them drinks. And I feel like that's usually really good for suckering people in because everybody wants to show that they're, you know, cool, tough Aragorn or Legolas or whatever, and they don't want to be spoken down to. So I think you 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 hook them with the bullies, and then um, it makes them want to kind of fold into larger quests and whatnot. Do you, do you tie, if it, let's say you were writing this adventure, do you tie those bullies into that larger quest, like back into it, or do you just like let them choose two totally different quest paths from there? I think you can have. I, I think you can do either. I know the. Um, this is slight spoilers for our show, but only l- l- this is literally like the first eight episodes. But when they first get into town, they find out that these green teens have been captured. So that's <laughs> that's the that's the main quest. That's the thing they have to deal with. But then there are also these barbarians who have come into town and are kind of slowly taking over. They're like chasing people out of their houses and whatnot. And they ended up right off the bat getting into a fight with these barbarians um, in the tavern. So that was like the first encounter. But then they go off to save the green teens. But then they find out when they get back from saving the green teens, the barbarians have completely overtaken the town nice. and now they've got to do this other fight. So I think you can have them be related or you can have it be like, hey, if you don't deal with this whole problem right now, it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's great. And I think it's always it's always an easy quest to do because you don't need to desi- uh, design a dungeon. You don't need to do anything. You just there's this, you know, may- maybe it's a, another army that came in and they're pitching tents outside the the town that's that's what um brennan did in our home game there was like uh there was an army that was kind of kicking people out of their homes and uh uh having their soldiers stay in people's bedrooms and stuff and you know just being a general nuisance and so it was up to us it's like do we want to 
in, in addition to dealing with these supernatural things, do we want to deal with these jerks in town? And it, <laughs> it, it, makes, it makes the world feel very big, even though you haven't, you haven't really done that much. So how much do you prep before a given episode? I prep truly so much. Really? Yes. What but does that mean? Be- like, what, what are you prepping exactly? Just because, because it's recorded and we're so deep into the campaign at this point, I just don't want to put out a disappointing episode. Yeah. So I try to give my players a few options while still kind of following the main quest. And then all of those things just need to be kind of fleshed out. And then it's almost... it. It, at, at times it becomes less like a D&D campaign and more like running a TV show or something where you're like, here are the big plot points we need to hit. And, um, you know, this reveal needs to happen three quarters of the way through this current arc to keep the momentum up and all of that of the storytelling. So most most of what I'm prepping is is the is the story. And as far as just running an adventure and like, you know, printing out the monsters and setting up encounters, that's just a few hours. Right. What other ways that that's an interesting point you just made. Are are there any other ways that running this podcast has been similar to making TV shows in your experience? Yeah, I yeah, it is. um, I definitely have to, like I said, I definitely have to think about the story a lot more than I have to think about the game itself. And it is, and you'll see, like what I was talking about, when you see the responses people have to the show, how I kind of try to look at like the bigger picture. If there are a few episodes in a row where it's kind of this grind, where the players are going through this snowstorm and they're having to do all this survival stuff, if you do a few of those episodes in a row, even if that's good D&D, people kind of want to hear the next thing. They want to they want to know what's going to happen. Like, wh- where is this character? What's what's going on here? So I think it's like a show in that way, in that when you watch any kind of serialized TV show, you're, you enjoy the small moments, but you also want to, you know, you you want to hear the answer to the mystery. If you watch Veronica Mars and you don't find out who who killed Lily Kane by the end of season one, you're going to be extremely disappointed. <laughs> and that is, the, uh, I think that's kind of how it's similar to a TV show. What plot threads, how do you decide which ones to pick up and which ones to just let dangle? Because there are so many that happen in a D&D campaign, you know? Yeah, I think we tend to pursue whatever the characters are most interested in so we have we've had um this is a spoiler alert if you haven't watched this show yet but we had a character um die but then was revivified but then while he died we had a an improvised scene where he saw visions of um shadow fell and like a, a reason that he might need to go there cool and then after he was revivified the players were automatically like, we need to go to Shadowfell right now. We need to deal with this. And I was not planning that at all. <laughs> it, it, to, me, to me, it was just like, ah, yes, I get to do this mysterious scene where I talk in a whispery voice and um, Emily can compose cool music uh, under it and we can make it all spooky and everything. Um, but then immediately they were like, oh, that's, that's the next stop. We're going there. 
So I, I try to just honor whatever they're most interested in cool. and expanding on those things. So when you, first of all, I love that you used a character's death as a way to kind of move your story forward, like to give them this little Shadowfell tidbit. That's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. But Thank also, you. how could you not think they'd want to go to the Shadowfell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's amazing. Like, when you're telling me this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. going to the Shadowfell. Yeah, like, that's obviously where we're yeah. going next. I mean, that's, that's what happens, right? <laughs> but you think, you think you're a genius in this moment because you think, oh, well, this is going to be a cool scene. And you're just thinking about the short term. Right. Oh, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it for these next two minutes. <laughs> And then, and then you completely screw yourself over by, uh, by you know, trying to trying to be cool for five minutes, trying to make a cool scene, and then then you have to write an arc. Yep, yep, that's pretty classic too. Yeah, yeah that would have that would have crushed me. Murph, what is your like number one DM tip for my good friend Shelley, or anyone, or anyone like who yeah. wants to start DMing? Uh, I think, like we talked about. Before, just kind of realizing that any kind of performative D&D you listen to is going to be so much different than a home game. So you don't need to worry about, you know, sounding like anybody else or running the game like anybody else. As long as the players are having fun, then you're doing a great job. Exactly, yeah. And then I think just uh, interesting interesting encounters are, I think, a big way to get people invested. Because it's it's very easy to just run a game where you just have people slugging it out with people. It's just, you fight the dragon and the dragon takes its attacks, you take its attacks, it takes its attacks, you take your attacks, and on and on and on. Uh, What really opened me up to helping me be able to create cool encounters was lair actions, which is a thing that monsters have as um, you kind of go up in difficulty throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go, if if you fight a dragon... Uh, you know, let's say it's like a white dragon or something, and it's it, it's it lives in like the frigid north, and it's in like a an icy cave or something. On initiative twenty, there might be a lair action where uh, crystals pop out of the ground and explode and do some kind of damage, and they have to like roll to get out of the way. I think you can you can use lair actions, and even if even if the creatures they're fighting aren't supposed to have them, you can just kind of um, make them simpler and make them easier and less challenging. Maybe they only do a D6 of damage or something like that. Right. But if they're fighting on top of a tram and every once in a while, um, you know, rocks fall down from like the cave wall that you're going through and they have to like dive out of the way, it makes everything more visual and it makes everything seem higher stakes. And multi-tiered fights, if people, some people are trapped on this higher level, some people have fallen down into a trap and there's goblins down here and there's orcs above you and it, it makes it feel a little bit more like an action movie than just like you're, you're playing Final Fantasy and you're taking turns going back and forth. I've honestly never heard that tip before, and it is spectacular. And I'm 100% stealing it. That was great. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think it still just makes it sound intimidating and scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's super duper not. On initiative 20, something cool happens. That's all. That's, that's right. all. Yeah, something think cool. of that something cool. Yeah. You do whatever you want in the moment. You're God. You do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Hey, can we talk about this book yeah, that you and Emily are putting too. out? Or, or maybe it's already out. Hey, you up. 
Oh, that actually that came out um, a couple years ago. Oh, what? okay. Uh, uh, yeah, um, Emily and I wrote a satirical relationship uh, advice book from um, us as kind of um, um, pretend all-knowing relationship experts. Uh, <laughs> the best kind. Yes. Um, so it's just kind of a silly book of essays modeled after uh, relationship self-help books. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. I will be buying that. It's called Hey You Up. Thank you. Awesome. Very cool. So, unrelated, how much of Hot Date is improvised? A decent amount of it is improvised. We had to – we shot the show very fast. Um, Each episode we shot in only a couple days. So, we – in order to get things – approved by production and stuff the scripts had to be very short so there would be some scenes where emily and i would be like there needs to be like a little bit more meat here there needs to be you know um and it's it we know each other better than anybody knows anybody so it's, it's very <laughs> it's very easy for us to play off of each other and then we're you know we're the head writers so we have the freedom to kind of change things as we want. And if we show up to set and we're like, nah, this line's not that funny, we can just change it right there, which was which was a blessing, which is, um, you know, something very few people get to do. We were very, it was, it was very lucky for us to get to do that. That's awesome. That's very cool. Well, you're a genius. <laughs> That's all I have to <laughs> I'm, say. I'm, ten- well, thank, I'm like, thank you. I'm going home tonight and I'm going to marathon all of my day. I know you're gonna have to. Um, and um, is Emily is, is like Emily home right now? Is she is she there? Emily is home. Oh! We <laughs> <laughs> just tell her that that I love her. Okay, I will. Uh, oh my god! Now I'm like, am I blushing? Yeah, now, I'm, now I'm like, yeah. now you're. Oh my free, god! Now you're really. Okay, we're gonna have, we're gonna have to wrap this up because I'm gonna just explode. Um, thank you so much being here um where can people find more about you and more about the podcast uh if you just look up not another dnd podcast on anywhere you get your podcast uh you'll be able to find it uh if you're already a fan of the show you can check out our patreon it's um patreon.com slash nadpod we have uh after shows and we do one shots sometimes and all kind of different stuff but yeah just not another dnd podcast nadpod.com if you want to check out our upcoming live shows and stuff. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And so, it sounds like it's a great time to jump in since the new campaign is going to be starting up in a few months. When, yeah. when is When are you planning to launch that new campaign? I think it'll be in the spring. Yeah. So if okay. you if you look at the backlog, I would I would encourage you to check out the show, even if you're intimidated by the number of episodes that there are. But if if you're like, no, I need to start at the very beginning and I need to be all caught up so I can chat with people about it and everything, we'll, we'll be starting campaign two. I would guess probably around April. Okay. So okay. keep checking back in with us if you want to start fresh with campaign two. Cool. Okay. And they can check your website, nadpod.com. Yeah. Nadpod. Nad. Two Ds. Two Ds. Well, three total. Yes. There's another one at the end. You're right. <laughs> I checked your math. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> N-A-D-D-P-O-D dot C-O-M. Awesome. Thank you so All much, right. Murph. Thank you so much. Uh, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me. It really was. We are very excited to have you. And I'm going to watch Hot Date. I'm going to start marathoning this podcast. I'm going. Why I not? Wait. I'm going hard. Me I'm too. going hard on that Murph Emily content. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you think he thinks I'm weird? Yep, because I'm such a fan. Yeah, you like you were fan. you were extremely weird. I tried to hold it together, man. It didn't work. No, nope. didn't work out. That's okay. But he was great. I think he rolled with it really well. Yeah. What a funny person. What a great dungeon master. What a great podcast. Yeah, and I guy. I can't wait to see uh, the rest of the projects that come out of this genius mind of his. Well, there is like eighty some episodes of this podcast. Oh. So, um, all right. The, the world is rich with yep. content. Get in there. Oh, I love it. I yeah. Love it. So, very cool. Thank you for um for for joining. Of course. This wonderful little podcast. Anytime. You know really? it. Really? I'm always your pinch hitter. You are. Yep. You are. I'm always here. When Greg isn't, so guess who's here for you? Hopefully Greg has more friends getting married next year. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Greg, make more friends. Make uh, more friends, find or more. Just go to more weddings. Yeah. Just show up. Do you have to be invited? He looks he looks so cute when he dresses up. I can't imagine anybody would turn him away. I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know if I know that guy, but he looks really nice. And he's you dressed know, well. And he's also really sentimental. <gasps> so I feel like he would always cry at your wedding, even if he didn't know you. Is he is that true? Is he very oh, sentimental? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh. He's he's very he'll admit that too, but like his wife always is like, Oh yeah, Greg. Like cries at every TV show. Oh my god! Cries at movies. Just I would not. I would not have guessed that. That's a sweet boy. He's a tender boy. Yes. All right. He's well, a sweet when, while he's tender off, theater while boy. he's off crying, he's probably crying right now. I'll be here to help perform with you. All right. I love that. Where can people find out more about you? Anywhere? Um, I am taking a, a pretty decent social media hiatus right. at the moment, but I'm still on Instagram. Uh, oh. Posting pictures of my dog. So, Oh, my God. Your dog is Kate the best. Kate Welch with four H's on Instagram. Go look at pictures of my dog. Did you have to put the, the H's there because there's other Kate Welch's? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of them. At least three. Um, one of them is a teacher. Oh. She seems like she's accomplishing a lot of good in this world. Oh. <laughs> Well, so are you. <laughs> oh, babe, thank you. And what uh, uh, other other than uh, Rick and Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty, you've got other things in the works oh, that we yeah. can't talk about. Oh yeah, always, constantly. Um, where can people find more about you? I will be there on Twitter at Shelly Moo. Shelly Moo, and you can feel free to su- suggest more topics for our new segment, How to Be a Dungeon Master, or every once in a while, just send an encouraging tweet. To yeah. get Shelly to just done to DM, or herself. just send an encouraging tweet. Just an encouraging tweet. Pick up the day. Little picture yeah. of a glass of wine. Oh, it's always gonna it's always yeah, gonna make yeah. you always gonna make you smile. Uh, if you ever uh, want to find Kate, you can always just tweet me, and I'll just go walk over to her desk and say, "Hey, <laughs> hey, I printed out, for I you. printed out this tweet for you. <laughs> what do you want me to write back? <laughs> I will dictate the tweet. She will back. do that. I will do that." <laughs> I will do that. It's always, always a delight. Always glad to be here, babe. Thanks, man. Is there anything else we should talk about? I don't think so. I guess you should, if you show. want some more Dungeons and Dragons, you can follow D&D. Yep. Also on Twitter at wizards underscore D&D. You can also uh, download the Dragon Plus app on your, your mobile devices Ooh. because that is where you will get all of the Dungeons and Dragons because it is uh, like everything social even gets aggregated like in real time. What? Plus all the news including a great article about uh, Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty. I'm going to download this app right now. Do it right now. Kate will demonstrate how easy it is to get Dragon Plus. You can also get it on your computer if you don't want to download it onto your phone. I think it's just dragonmag.com. Dragon Plus. Done. Okay. Got it. So all the news that you can use. And also the covers of um, Dragon Plus are some of my favorite 
I just love. They do really good. I love looking at all the covers. Really good work. And yeah. I ask Shauna, who is our creative director, to please, please make us a poster of all of the covers, like the Doors of Ireland oh, posters that you yeah. used to see. Yeah. Around. Oh, that's I want, like, cute. The covers of Dragon Plus. I like that idea. Right? Come on, Shauna. Come on, Shauna. <laughs> so you can tweet at um, Bart Carroll and make him okay, do that because. He's the editor of that. Bad fact. All okay. right. Cool. All right. That was super fun, you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me. So um, thank you also to Ryan Marth, who has a, a job here doing stuff. <gasps> yeah, Ryan! Sound mixing and yeah. stuff. And Lisa Carr, who helps with yeah. making all of our guests feel comfortable and, and um, getting them all lined up. And, of course, Pelham Green. Yeah. Who does all sorts of other stuff. I actually have no idea what any of you do. I just know you're here every week and I love you. Ah, Shelly. What do they do? It's mutual. Who knows? Who cares? Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Much love to you all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.